Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Addicted Mind Podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. So today, my guest is Chris Dreibach, and he's going to share his powerful story of recovery from several recovery attempts, going to prison, getting caught up in the criminal justice system, and finally with a compassionate judge who sent him to another treatment facility. He was able to finally find his way with some compassionate help. And he took his experience and founded several sober living homes and treatment facilities. And he also created Second Chance PA, which was a pre-arrest diversionary program really just put his entrepreneurial spirit together and harnessed all of that to create some incredible opportunities for people in recovery. And he's going to talk about his new endeavor, A Night of Recovery. So stay tuned for this episode. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. It was great talking with Chris. He has so much passion and drive and just really goes forward almost without fear to create these amazing resources for people who are struggling with addiction. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode and hearing Chris's story. And if you're getting a lot out of the Addicted Mind podcast, write us a review in iTunes. That really does help the podcast get found or wherever you get your podcast. That would be awesome. And don't forget, you can join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and click join and continue the conversation online there as well. All right, let's go ahead and get this episode started. All right, everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Chris Dreisbach. And Chris, why don't you just jump in? We were already talking before we started recording about being really excited about what's happening and getting the messages from people on your new project and night of recovery. So let's just jump in right there because I feel your passion already. Yeah, absolutely. And Dwayne, again, thanks for having me here. 
I'm excited to get to talk to you and everybody that's listening. And uh, I'll give everybody a quick disclaimer. I'm getting over a stomach bug. So if I look like I'm dying, I'm actually not dying. Probably. <laughs> I appreciate you sticking through it and, and coming on to the podcast anyway. So thank you. Well, I had to, I had a bail on you before because I had that flight to Tampa that somehow just magically got booked right over the time. And uh, even if I was throwing up, man, I wasn't going to reschedule this one. So. Oh, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I've, it's been so thrilling ever since we recorded Night of Recovery live from the Moravian Center and then got it dropped on Prime Video. You know, just being able to to meet with different uh, movie critics and like newspaper writers and uh, TV people. I got to fly down and hang out on Great Day Live Tampa with my friend Shannon Moore, who's also in the Night of Recovery. You know, just the response from each of those things and the number of people we've been able to meet and impact at each of those corners has been so unbelievable. Uh, like it's truly the spice of life for me to be able to impact people in every corner people that I've never been able to talk to yet. People who can relate to the pain, the suffering, the struggle that occurred with me. Well, it's energizing because you know, hope is out there, right? You you've gone through it, you've seen it. And to be able to give that hope and pass that hope along, I think is like one of the best gifts we can give to others and to ourselves. It's just, it fills you with joy and passion and, and all of that. So let's let's jump in a little bit of and talk about a little bit of your story and how this all started, not just this production, but all of your treatment centers that you've put together, your sober housing that you've put together, you know, just a passion to help others and, and bring people up. Yeah, I mean, that that is truly the passion for me is watching people taste success, watching people be happy, find themselves uh, and a lot of that comes from my past of not knowing who I was and struggling mightily in a whole lot of different areas. And, uh, you know, short story long, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a good suburban area. I was a good suburban kid. I never should have gotten anywhere near anything like heroin, but you know, life didn't turn out that way. And heroin grabbed me and it took me for a little ride for a few years. And that ride took me into some fun places like treatment centers and incarceration and incarceration again and treatment center again and incarceration again and over and over and over kind of ad infinitum. By the age of 20, I felt like I was on a legitimate vicious cycle that was never going to end. I thought I was following in the footsteps of some 40 and 50 year olds I knew at the time who were just going to jail, getting out, failing, going to jail, getting out, failing. And that was kind of the societal answer to addiction at the time in the mid 2000s or the mid aughts, if you yeah. will. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, to be stuck in that time where like brain science hadn't fully been accepted and, you know, society certainly hadn't moved towards brain science being fully accepted, you know, yeah. it was a struggle. And it didn't help me at 18 years old to get tossed in a cage. And it didn't help me to be tossed back out with no guidance than to get tossed back in, to get tossed back out, to get tossed back in and, and live in that cycle it's pretty dehumanizing and it's pretty demoralizing. And while there were a ton of well-intentioned, good-hearted, pure people trying to help me, like progressive judges, they would send me to treatment every time I went to jail. And yeah. they didn't do that back in the day. You know, they were just like, look at this 18-year-old kid. He's a nut. He just went out and burglarized houses and we caught him, you know? And like, look at this kid. He ran from parole. He went to Buffalo, New York and North Carolina and caught charges in both those places. He's clearly an idiot. He needs help, you know, and like all these yeah. well-intentioned people were trying to help me. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even see that I deserved help. I had gotten so far down in the, 
the scale of self-loathing that I didn't even believe recovery was possible. I didn't even know recovery was a real thing. I just thought it was a bunch of old, angry white dudes in a basement somewhere <laughs> being mad at each other and like yelling about their lawnmower. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really hopeless at that, at that moment. Like you're like, there's no hope for me. I'm, this is, this is the life that I've been given and I'm just going to recycle this over and over. And that's the pain. And and you got to get that message. Like you said, the brain science doesn't catch up. The treatment facility just, you know, not the treatment facility, but the, the system just puts you back into prison and, you know, yeah, I mean, it's hopeless. It's, it's horrible, but something happened here because it didn't turn out that way. So serendipity, the universe, Providence, whatever you want to call it, they were all operative for me at the same time in 2007. Because on August 27, 2007, I was wandering around a region of Allentown, Pennsylvania that I theoretically had no business other than heroin being in. And uh, a little black Honda, you know, pulled me over while walking. And uh, <laughs> uh, it was the Allentown Vice Squad. They were sent as messengers to take me out of the life I was living. And they tossed me back in Lehigh County Prison where I belonged. I became number 01311644 again. I traded in my name, Chris Dreisbach for that number one more time. And I didn't think there was anything different about this. I called my dad and I had the same disappointing dad talk. I'm like, hey, sorry, man. You know, it happened again. Here I am in the Allentown Police Department. Uh, you know, I'm going back to jail. See you in eight months or whatever it was. Right. But I remember the the pain on the other side, the like desperation, the disappointment, the everything negative you could think of coming from my dad. Uh, oh, and not even I anger. What what a moment of like, you know, that despair, like that darkness. And it, it wasn't even something that registered with me at the time. Yeah. Because at the time I was purely here. I'm getting arrested again. I have to go do this. I, I, I it was all me. It was all self. But upon future reflection with much wiser people, I realized the pain that I put that old man through. And he's not really even old. He's 18 years older than me. We just call him old. Uh, right. Right. And, but, and put him through, but then also your own darkness. I mean, it's just like, oh, yeah. that's the addiction, right? Just, it just spreads darkness around it. Yes. And it's just, it was such a, such a moment. And I went into jail and, you know, nothing changed. I just went back in there and got up in my rack and hung out and read books. And, you know, eventually the judge was like, yeah, dude, you're 20. You know, obviously he didn't call me dude because he's a judge, but right. <laughs> paraphrase version. Yeah, dude, you know, you're, you're 18 or you're 20 at this point. Like I've seen you three or four times. Let's get it figured out and send you to rehab again. And he sent me to another rehab, shocking enough that he sent me to another rehab. And this rehab was a little bit better than the previous ones I had gone to. Uh, the other ones were those therapeutic communities where they teach you to keep your shirt tucked in and, and fix your behavior. And somehow that'll magically make you not do drugs. Right. Doesn't, doesn't work. No, not even slightly in a little bit, but you know, that was another issue is I was never even presented proper treatment. And finally yeah. I was presented it and not saying that the, the place did anything magical, but they gave me the best they could. And the, the counselor that I had was much, much smarter than I was. And he was this old hippie guy who, who recently died, unfortunately, but you know, he gave me the sweatshirt off his back. And what is amusing about that is I'm six foot five and 230 at the absolute lightest. And this guy was probably 5'8, 150 at the heaviest. And I had no clothing. I just, I got there with just the jail clothes, you know, that I had. And he gave me a sweatshirt off of his back. And it was a moment that I will never forget 
wow. in my entire life because I squeezed my big ugly body into that little tiny sweatshirt to try and stay warm. And he gave me, you know, just that first inkling of love, that first inkling of like, maybe I do deserve a little bit of peace here. And, that uh, that yeah, moment yeah. of compassion that that like yeah. you have value just to, it just like eked itself in a little bit. Yeah, I'll be forever wow. grateful to that man. I mean, you know, and then he sent me to a to a halfway house, pretty much against my will, other than you know parole uh, uh-huh. making me do it. You know, and uh, look, I'm getting a little teary eyed thinking about this guy because he made such an impact on my life. Wow. And, you know, he ended up sending me pretty much against my will to this halfway house in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, which is not Allentown. It's not where I'm from. It's cornfields, Amish people. And, you know, while I was here, the halfway house forced me to go to meetings and forced me to reach out to people and forced me to do all this stuff under the guise of, you know, not going back to jail. I complied. Right, right. Over the course of my compliance with these things, my spirit was awakened. I was taught new ideas and how to step away from my selfishness. And obviously over the last 17 years, I have failed miserably in maintaining perfect lack of self. But I got to tell you, those foundational moments at that halfway house allowed me to build up. And, you know, they let me get a job. They let me do these different things. And when I got that first job, I looked in a phone book. That's how I can date that I've been sober too long. Right. <laughs> I got my first job in recovery through a phone book. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. It's like, a, I hear you. Right? <laughs> yeah. What it's is that? A phone book? A pay yeah. phone? I don't I, understand what that is. But, you know, I'm, I'm just hearing like that moment of compassion. And I can tell just listening to you that that is like that moment is ingrained in you in a deep way and it it's it sounds like it it was that that little tipping point that offers that cascade of openness just enough just enough for you to like go wait a minute maybe something's different yeah and then kind of being put into that space where now it's kind of like hammered in a little bit more but it, it sounds that- like in a way that was compassionate and kind Yeah. And not even that at that moment, did I have the mental capacity to realize what it was or recognize how to take that and turn it into a practical life or recovery. I just felt. And sometimes that's the first step to anything is just feeling and accepting that you have feelings and accepting that, like, maybe it's okay. You know, maybe it's just all right that I'm a messed up 20, 20 or 21 year old and I've done nothing but be in jail my entire adult life and disappoint everybody I've ever met. And here's this guy who doesn't know me from a hole in the wall, man. And he gives me a sweatshirt right off his back because he knows I'm cold. Wow. You know, and now I'm getting real emotional, you know, and I hate <laughs> doing that on these things. But like the stuff is so real and it's so deep. And just to think of people who feel the way I used to feel. I just want to be that guy with the sweatshirt in every possible case. It's it's so beautiful to 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 hear that and to to and to touch that that piece because you know there's so much suffering out there and when we can give that to another human, you know, especially when we've been in that darkness and yeah. and then someone comes along and tells us we're worthwhile, like you're worth it, like it's I don't know how to describe it, but it's it's an amazing experience and and it and it and it brings us to the journey and it is emotional. I mean, it's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have probably rather died than cry on a, an anything. And I just like recovery and being open and being able to accept who you are and what you are 
Yeah. It, it just allows for so many things. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick little story. I get uh, asked to go do a lot of things and talk at a lot of places. And I had some great friends who do tremendous work here in the local Harrisburg community in Pennsylvania. And they asked me to come speak at a suicide prevention conference. And that's not my wheelhouse at all. Yeah. You know, like I'll talk recovery, I'll talk business, I'll talk pretty much anything with anybody. But like suicide prevention is not something I dive into very often. And I accepted because I accept basically everything. And I went there was like an hour and a half conference, not a ton of people in the room, maybe like 50, 60, you know, grandmothers, mothers, you know, people who've experienced suicide loss, people who've experienced, you know, attempting to take their own lives. We got so raw and so real. I was openly bawling in this room for <laughs> an absurd number of minutes during this talk. And just being able to connect with all of those people in that room was such a deeply fulfilling moment that, you know, I'll never be afraid to cry publicly ever again. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, can you talk about that? Because, you know, like we go to your old self, right? Where it's locked away in like, this is my life. And I'm just a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not worth it to this person who now can do that. Right. The opening of the, of the, I don't know if you want to call it the spirit, the soul, the whatever. It's like, there's this transition to this new person. And I I would love to hear about that journey. I mean, that is a a constantly moving journey, right? Uh, right. 17 years deep, I still get hit with with stuff, I still create my own problems, I still move on to a new version of myself, a new version of understanding uh, fairly frequently. But you have an openness to it. That's what I I hear. Like you have an openness to it. You're you're open to that process now where they don't, you know, you don't have to have the people like hammer. I mean, sometimes we need to get some advice from people to say, Hey, you know, what's going on, but we're, we're a little more open to it. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm at a point where for the most part, you know, when I'm, when I'm struggling, I have a whole squad of people that are around me to let me know I'm being stupid. Yeah. That's always, that's good. I've, I've made significant errors. I've done stupid, stupid things. And I've heard a lot of people along the way, uh, but just trying to be better day after day and trying to, you know, learn from each mistake and become a greater version of myself is a, a main part of recovery. It's a main part of what I learned back in 2007. It's just don't be as hard on myself as I used to be. And when you make a mistake, own it and keep moving. And, yeah. you know, I'm by no means perfect, but uh, that, that transformational moment really came from consistent work on not being so selfish and consistent work on not focusing on myself and what I get and where I am and who I am and how I am and really just seeing what I can bring to the universe and and what part can I play in the advancement of somebody else's life. And those moments and those thoughts have led to the most beautiful things that have happened to me in in all of the last 17 years. And it's, I mean, that's a tough one. There's just been so many different things that have happened in in those 17 years that like it would take a, probably a six hour podcast to even figure out where to start on that one. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) But I think you say something really important that, that consistency piece, like that consistent effort to go inward, the consistent effort to think of others, the consistent effort to be your best self and kind of walk that path is where hope lies. Yeah. And for folks who are in, in recovery now, kind of long-term, short-term, any term, 
not letting mistakes beat you down is the biggest key. I've lost more friends and loved ones than I can even count on 10 hands who, you know, people have just made a little mistake and let it burn them up. And, you know, even a huge mistake you can come back from. It's not the end of your life. Hopefully it's not the end of your life. And you yeah. know, if you're still breathing, there's still a good shot for you. And, you know, my path doesn't have to be your path. Dwayne's path doesn't have to be your path. That's right. We'll find your path. And hopefully, you know, there are going to be great people like Dwayne and me around you to help you get there without yeah. judgment, without shame and without stigma, without fear, because that fear crushes more people than I even care to count. I know it's it's oh, it breaks my heart. It's like, no, reach out, man. There's so many people out there that want to help you. You don't you're not you're you're worth it. And I and it's like it's like, I, you know, it's like you want to hammer that in there. You know, you're like, come on, you yeah. can do it. You know, you you got it. It's in you. You've got the spirit. Go for it. Yeah. And so I, I'm I'm right there with you. So let's let's transition a little bit and, and kind of talk about as you got through this, you started wanting to help others. And so you started doing a lot of these businesses and sober living and treatment centers. And you talked about like, you know, good treatment centers that are evidence-based, that use science, that that use the the current knowledge we have, the best knowledge that we have to help people with addiction. So I want to talk about like kind of you got through that part, you went through that darkness, you started to work on yourself consistently. And then you said, look, I got to get back. So I want to hear about that part too. There was this weird serendipitous thing that kind of happened. And a lot of my friends at that halfway house that I'd since moved out of or since moved out of, they were all about to be homeless at the same time. So I went ahead and took, you know, what tiny, tiny savings I had from waiting tables at that diner. And uh, then going back to work at the treatment center I'd gone through, uh, which was 70 miles away from my house for $9 an hour, it didn't really make much fiscal sense, but spiritually it was wonderful. Right. So what happened was a whole bunch of my friends were about to be homeless at the same time. And I grabbed up with another guy and we rented a house for them to move into. Realized we kind of needed to like guide them a little bit because they were guys brand new in recovery. And we developed like a 64 point guideline sheet for them to kind of show them the way, guide them a little bit. And what happened was like of that original 10 guys, I think eight of them are still sober from 2010, which is a little bit absurd. And yeah, uh, that's great. More people wanted to come be a part of it. There was such a family atmosphere and just so much love and recovery in that house that we had to get another one to accommodate people and then another one to accommodate more people. And then I got a really wise advisor, my friend, Steve, who was actually my second landlord when I moved here after, you know, jail and halfway house. And he said, Chris, you need to make your money work for you. Let me show you how to do this and let me show you how to buy houses and I'll give you a loan to help you buy your first one with, you know, 10% interest. And I was like, oh, all right, you know, cool. I love that. And right. he showed me how to be an adult. He showed me how to own real estate, how to make money. And I found out that I loved it. I loved business. I loved helping people. It was just truly like serendipitous moments and being aware of, of opportunity and aware of circumstances around me. And so we ended up getting up to about 13 or 14 houses and 160 beds, I think it was. And you know, that just uh, that spawned a construction company because a couple of the guys in the house really wanted to, you know, show other people the trades that they knew and build their own businesses. And we blew that thing up into a, a million a year in revenue rather quickly on the the idea that we're helping people get their lives back together. And it was such a beautiful thing. I learned a different industry and then I learned a different industry. And then, 
you know, more and more businesses came up and eventually we opened Blueprints, the treatment center, and I gave the recovery houses away to a group of the guys that were had come through and had been a huge part of the success. And they took that on when we moved into the treatment industry. So there was no question of ethics or anything like that. Yeah. And Blueprints has just been a, a blessing and a half yeah. since 2016. Uh, it really just kept opening up opportunities. I discovered that I know a good bit about business. I have a little bit of acumen in that area and I love helping other people achieve their dreams. So it kind of led to me investing in other companies, helping people do startups, uh, you know, and just keeping little tiny pieces of them and staying on as a guide and staying on as an advisor. And uh, really just some of the most beautiful things have happened as a result of that. I've gone to watch people explode in their personal lives and grow to ridiculous success. And I mean, I just, I can't tell you, there's so many stories I could tell you, but yeah. they're, they're all, they're all beautiful in their own way. And just watching people succeed and, and feel that success and feel, you know, the love and the value, and then further give it away to the next group of people. And just watching that multiplicative factor of awesomeness is another one of the most beautiful blessings I have. Yeah. And I, I love what you're saying because it's like, you know, once you, I guess, got out of your own way, you know, really started to focus on other people and helping other people. Interesting enough, people show up to help you do that. I mean, I really believe, generally speaking, I mean, there are bad people in the world too, and they cause a lot of harm. I, mean, I don't want to, you know, pretend that's not real, but there are many, many people out there that want to help. They want to pass on their knowledge. Like that guy said, look, I see what you're doing. I can help you. I have this knowledge. I want to give it to you. I want to give you this experience. And you were open enough not to take it, but to receive it. That's what I make up. And then, and then pass it on to the next person and give the next person hope and the next person the ability to do something with their life. And I, I think once we frame that, it's, you know, the sky's the limit for everybody. It really is. And I don't, I don't consider myself all that special. I'm just a big, long haired, goofy, bearded, you know, <laughs> nut job. But like the number of people I've been able to set on the path to wealth building through landlordship and, and home ownership and, and real estate, I ended up going to get my real estate license. And we recently opened a real estate brokerage and a property management firm. And, you know, we started a fresh start initiative where we're inviting landlords to come join us and let us manage their properties without credit requirements, without criminal history requirements, and just give people more access to housing. And like, that's yeah. just such a tiny portion of my portfolio, if you will. But think about that one person who can't get an apartment anywhere on earth because nobody will give them a chance. Now, if we can get a coalition of landlords in this area and maybe even a spark of an idea into other areas, how many lives can be changed just by that one tiny piece of my, quote, portfolio? Yeah. And that's why I don't think of anything as insignificant because even the most insignificant actions we take now can have the most massive implications for other people. And yeah, you know that's that's I, why I'll always make an hour available for a podcast. That's why I'll always always take a phone call that I don't want to take in the middle of the afternoon. That's why you just never know where your time, your space, your experience, and your heart can lend somebody else a leg up. Yeah, I, I'm glad you're saying that. You know, early in in my career working in mental health and everything, and when I was working at a treatment center, and and it was it was treatment in lieu of jail time, right? But man, I I felt like I was fighting the system half the time, right? Like yes. being able to, like you know, I, these and, and trying to bring in that compassionate element. It was a little bit 
the treatment center was a little bit old school and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like, you know, <laughs> it wasn't very compassionate. I mean, they were trying to help, I think, good intentions and everything. But at the same time, you know, I thought it was more shame-based than compassionate-based. And I don't think that really works uh, in the long term. But, yeah, fighting against the system, I mean, you know, it's like I felt like, okay, you know, this guy, we got to find some place for you to live, you know, like, but we can't find any place. And and and, what was so frustrating to me, I'm sorry, I'm going to vent a little bit, was like that these guys were in jail because of addiction. They were good people, but they were hooked up in addiction and yeah. they wanted their life better. I mean, it was like, I, you know, once you sit down and, and you're with them and talking to them, you see it. And yet the system sometimes makes it incredibly difficult. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing that and then providing that to people who need that extra help to just get started. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, that kind of led blueprints and my team over at Blueprints to do some things in 2018, we linked up with some local police uh, chiefs in the area, and we developed a thing called Second Chance PA, where we send certified recovery specialists out on scene with law enforcement with the blessing of our district attorney here in Lancaster County of Pennsylvania, uh, Heather Adams, a wonderful woman. She allows those officers on the street to make a judgment call as to whether to follow through with criminal charges or send the individual to treatment with their permission, obviously. Yeah, but we were able to implement this in 2018, and since then we've seen 3,200 cases of people being able to step out of the criminal justice system and into the healthcare system. And if we could implement that on a larger scale nationwide, I have imagined, or I imagine that our overdose crisis, our opioid crisis, and a whole lot of other crises would be deadened pretty significantly. Uh, if we all just team up and work for the health of our community. And we've been able to prove such a beautiful model here in in, uh, just Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, that I just truly wish more places would look at it and and try and, you know, step into that restorative justice category instead of saddling guys like me uh, with felonies for the rest of our lives, which I do have a a felony. And I'm happy about my felony because I wear it as a badge of honor now to show other felons that you don't really have to slow down. Yeah. You Absolutely. Can you can do it. So but let's it's not t- easy to no. ask everybody to just, you know, be okay with being a felon and then not have simple access to jobs and housing and healthcare and that and, and bad yeah. system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, yeah, in my work too, I saw the same thing and, and in some ways it's getting better and projects like yours yes. are, are helping and, and educating people. And, and I think some of this, there's still a lot of stigma out there, but it's, it's opening up and, and people are realizing, you know, how addiction works at the brain and, and we're, we're getting places. So that that's hopeful to me. So let's talk about a night of recovery and, and how that came about. And you just released it on Amazon. And so let's jump in there. Yeah. So night of recovery really started from a tour of blueprints did in 2018, we called it the Communities Against Addiction Tour, and we partnered up with a guy who was running for Senate out here, and he called it his uh, Addiction is Not a Crime Tour, which really just fit with our model, and, and we loved it so much. And we got real tired of when addiction became like a, a hot-button issue, if you will. We would have all these town hall meetings, and nobody would say anything. It would just be like grandstanding for for no reason. Right. It would be all about awareness, but there would be no awareness brought. It was it was just not compelling, not interesting, and very uninspired in a lot of cases. And we thought, how crazy would it be if we hit 18 cities in Pennsylvania, brought interesting speakers, 
and made it this community discussion. And so we did that. We were a little bit crazy. We had 18 cities in Pennsylvania across a couple months. And in that, you know, I had to go across the state to the western side of Pennsylvania. I don't know how much you know about the geography here, but there's, you know, Pittsburgh on one side, Philly on the other, and Lancaster's kind of right in the middle there. And uh, I didn't have much you know, recognition or know too many people out West. So I reached out to some friends that hooked me up with Sean Waltman, who was with uh, the WWE uh, as yeah. X-Pac and the one, two, three kid. And I discovered, you know, he was in recovery and I reached out to, I don't even know who it was, like his agent or something. And I was just like, Hey man, we're doing this addiction tour. And like, I don't know if Sean would be interested in coming out and helping us. So it was just like a complete flyer, you know, like there's no yeah. way this dude's going to even answer me. And like 45 minutes later, I get a call on my personal cell phone from John. And he was like, oh, bro, I'm so honored that you'd even think of me. And like, oh, dude, like, I'm, I'd be so happy to fly out and like, just come help. And that's awesome. Just, just crush my soul with like excitement. You know, that here's this guy yeah. I, I watched on TV as a kid. I idolized him and he's just hyped to come out and help us. And so he came out for three dates on that tour. And the response was unbelievable i mean people just loved, loved it, it. Were so inspired it kind of stuck in the back of my mind and into 2022 uh, i had been working with the wwe a little bit and became aware of a, a guy on twitter who was with the wwe i didn't really know him very well so i didn't watch much at the time and i never go on twitter but one morning at like 2 a.m i was scrolling twitter while i was on the toilet or something <laughs> and I saw him put up a post and we became aware of each other, like followed each other on Twitter after the X-Pac stuff. I never talked to him or anything. And I think he put up a post like I fucked up and I need help or something. just something that indicated this dude could use some help. And I sent him a message also, again, thinking he's never going to respond. But I said, hey, dude, you know, if you're struggling, like I don't know you from a hole in the ground, but uh, if you need help, come on up here, man. We'll scholarship you. Take care right. of you. And he responded right away. And he was just in a detox center in San Antonio at the bottom of his bottom. And he accepted <sighs> our help. And, and something happened that he couldn't get in touch with the WWE guys. And somebody was trying to scam him to go into another rehab or something. And uh, he ended up coming up to Lancaster and getting treatment and getting help. And he decided to stay out here. And we decided to, you know, build a company called Three Legacies Wrestling. And now he has this opportunity to, like, have his own company and have his own beautiful wrestling community here in Lancaster and uh, you know, with him being up here and, and living this new life and wanting to give back combined with the experience we had with X-Pac. We linked up with Shannon Moore, who's also involved in this documentary and Kurt Hussey. And we decided we wanted to do some nights of recovery and really bring that community vibe of education, community, and love, and just give it to the world. And it has been magical. We did our wow. first one in february last year at the wear center here in lancaster and that featured x-pac you know sean kurt jesus and a special appearance by our friend brandon novak because That's it actually amazing. turned out that that kurt was inspired by some of brandon's videos and that was like what led him to jump into recovery and it just ah. so happened that that Brandon was like in Philadelphia at the time. And I reached out and I said, Hey man, you really inspired this guy. Would you be willing to come do this surprise thing on, on camera? And he did. And man, he came up here and knocked it out of the park, surprised the crap out of Kurt. It was just a beautiful moment to be caught. Now that's not on the night of recovery that we have on prime, but that one, hopefully you'll be able to see soon as well. The one on uh. prime, that was just an intimate little gathering at the Moravian center in Lancaster. 
and we had this beautiful intimate night you know a couple hours of, of talks and recovery and uh, you know we had a great audience of, of local you know community members and some treatment centers came out and had nice resource tables and really just a good community education evening and then thankfully baba founder productions which is another one of my organizations you know films them edits them and sends them out for distribution and it's just been so wonderful to hear across the country how much impact and how much you know these talks have given to people it's just so beautiful to think that you know all that work that went into organizing the nights the emotion and the energy of the actual night itself and then the hard work of the production crew afterwards all that work goes into just transformational moments for people and i could not be more excited to continue working on more of these and continue bringing them to new areas we have a hopefully an upcoming one in tampa we're talking to some folks in cleveland we're talking to some folks in seattle we're talking to some folks in colorado i mean we've got you know just a lot of areas that are interested in bringing night of recovery out and i could not be more excited to be able to get out there and do those things and hopefully if you're listening to this take some time jump on prime video and uh, check out night of recovery check it out center yeah absolutely and and it's just like bringing you know i just hear like you're showing people there's a different way that we can connect human to human with compassion and love and kindness and we can lift each other up by doing that and and it benefits all of us to take that stance and i just i love it chris i just it it's been awesome to have you on the addicted mind podcast just share your story share your hope share your optimism it's contagious and uh, it shows people that look there's a way to go there's a way out you can do this Absolutely. Absolutely. And don't be afraid to reach out. You know, you can find me on all kinds of social medias. You can find me literally anywhere on earth. And uh, if you're struggling, if you don't want to reach out to people, you know, because you're scared, if you don't want to, whatever the reason is, no judgment from me. Never, never, ever, ever. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Come say hi. And, and usually I think you kind of already answered it, but I usually ask one question before we wrap up and like someone out there, maybe they think it's hopeless. Maybe they're in that place on that phone, you know, talking to their father, you know, in that darkness. And you could say one thing to them. You could reach through the, uh, the, the phone or the audio or whatever and say one thing to them. What would you want to say? Every beautiful thing that has happened to me in my life was an opportunity that I had the awareness to understand and accept. And this moment that you're feeling this great pain, this great struggle is the universe showing you this is your moment. Be aware of it. Walk through the pain. Walk through the suffering. Walk through the struggle. Don't be ashamed. There's going to be people around you who will love you, who will support you. And if there aren't people around you right now, let's find you a place that there are. But don't be ashamed. Don't continue to go down further. Let's just do what we can to build you up. Oh, I love it. Thank you, Chris. Any links, specific links you want to give out or where people can get a hold of you or contact yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can find me at Chris Dreisbach on Instagram. I don't pay too much attention to that one. Uh, Christopher Dreisbach on Facebook and TikTok. There's like a link tree thing floating around on all of those things where you can find the links to the night of recovery and then also our docu-series repurpose where we went around the country and met with four awesome notable individuals in recovery and got to share their story in a mini docu-series format 
So if you check out Repurposed on Prime Video, that's also available through the link tree. Yep. Awesome. I'll put all those links in that you give them, give me the links and I'll put all the links in the show notes as well at the addictedmind.com. So Chris, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your story. Dude, Dwayne, my pleasure. And thank you again for the opportunity. I'm sorry I had to reschedule it once. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can hang out again. Absolutely. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips i'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so so inspiring i'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking in fact it's very much the opposite and no matter what your relationship was with alcohol life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober new episodes come out every tuesday you can listen to happiest sober podcast wherever you get your podcasts All right, everyone, thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast as usual. All the links will be in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. So check that out there. If you got a lot out of this episode, share with a friend. And don't forget, click the subscribe button in whatever podcast app you use so you can get the latest episode. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode.